Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 49. We're almost at 50 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Uh, Andrew Coates here with uh, Dean Guido just sitting alongside me. Uh, today we have Pete Dupuis joining us. He's the co-founder, general manager of Cressy Sports Performance. And he talks a little bit about his own personal brand that he's doing sort of as a small side project on top of Cressy Sports. Uh, we talk about some of the timeless principles that have contributed to 11 years of success in business. We talk a little bit about how Pete is surrounded by a lot of famous fitness professionals. Perhaps he's lived a little bit in the shadow, but coming into his own uh, brand. We talk about partnering with other fitness professionals and the benefits of that networking. Lots about youth athletics and the prevalence of the appearance of the prevalence of injuries more recently. And about family, time, work balance as a fitness professional. So stick around. It's a great episode. Shut up and sit down. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And uh, today we've got Pete Dupuis. So Pete is the co-founder and general manager of Cressy Sports Performance. Uh, and if you aren't yet familiar with CSP, uh, we're talking about one of the premier athletic training facilities in the world. These guys boast last year, baseball, Major League Baseball, their American League Cy Young and National League Cy Young award winners, Corey Kluber and Max Scherzer, respectively. If you don't know baseball, that may not mean much to you. I'm a fan. so uh, And they work with some of the best Major League Baseball pitchers and players, all the way down to minor leaguers, high school prospects, not to mention athletes from all kinds of other sports and everyday adults uh, in general fitness too. So welcome, Pete. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Cool. All right. So let's jump right into it. So that's not all. Uh, um, Pete, you've been stepping out onto your into your own, uh, your personal brand, coaching business clients and speaking at conferences. And I've actually seen you speak twice in person. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your expanded direction of your career? Sure. I, I don't know that I would say that it is a strategic big move in any way. It's It definitely qualifies more as a side hustle than uh, a dramatic career shift. Uh, I just find that after, well, now 11 years of doing this, we hit 11 years this past Friday, um, I accumulated enough experience to pass it along. And I have kind of found some opportunities to step in front of some audiences and speak to people like yourself and, and share some insights on gym ownership over the last couple of years and ran with it. Cause I think that one of the things I missed out on for the first six, seven years that I was doing this was that networking piece and getting out and meeting other people outside of new England. And it was just a blast. So I, I think that it went speaking opportunities translated to consulting inquiries, and I maintain a handful of consulting clients at any given time. It is not a big piece. It's it's three to four gym owners at a time in eight week or eight call chunks. So it's not like something that's eating up a big piece of my schedule or my day to day or my bandwidth. It's kind of an entertaining way to mentally separate from the grind of running CSP and get my head inside of other gyms and uh, see what other gym owners are doing, share my insights, and and pass along more, I'd say, of what didn't work for us than what did, <laughs> which people don't necessarily appreciate coming in. But 
I, I think there's a lot more to learn from places where we, we tripped up or opportunities missed. And, and that's kind of what my consulting qualifies as. Yeah, one of your two presentations that I saw, you actually talked about, I think it was five things that you guys learned over the years that really helped you. And then I think it was like five major mistakes that you learned from. We got a few. Anyone who says they don't have them is, is full of shit. <laughs> so. Good, we got them to swear. We got one swear. <laughs> yeah, right, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, at, ha, recently, has there been anything that you kind of picked up from any gyms you kind of consulted with or been at recently, just with kind of all of these new trends going on in, I guess, the fitness industry? Uh, I, I have a hard time saying specifically one thing yeah. that I recently took away. I would tell you that every gym owner I talk to, I learned something from. And every single time I publish a blog, it's, it's almost exclusively based on a discussion I had with a consulting client. So I think they do a nice job of, of triggering things in my head that I've learned without realizing learning. Yeah. And other times I'm recreating what I see these guys doing. I mean, I'm it, pretty much everything I do is is recreating something I've observed, be it in a social media context or through a conversation or, you know, you guys mentioned you've, you've chatted with Mark Fisher in the past. He and I have a standing monthly call where we get on the phone and we just talk about what is and isn't working in our world. And sometimes it's to commiserate and other times it's just to catch up. But that's the way I learn mostly through networking. And I kind of think of my consulting as networking conversations as, as much as it is nice that they're paid. Uh, they are opportunities to chat with other gym owners in that context. Well, especially with Mark, I mean, being able to do that with Mark all the time. Mark is, you know, you guys have had a ton of success. We'll get to that shortly. But I mean, Mark is also someone who's been on a stratospheric trajectory in terms of what he's done and his his appeal and his success in our industry. Uh, so it's got to be really amazing to be able to do that with him regularly. And I know you guys also had that event disrupt that you do together. Yeah, I I selfishly. <clears throat> really take advantage of this network that I've been able to kind of back my way into. I, I mean, obviously having a business partner like Eric Cressy, who's as connected as he is in the industry, it, it gives me the chance to take advantage of those contacts. And it definitely gets my foot in the door to talk to people that I otherwise would not have been able to get on the phone for casual, quick conversations. And uh, I was saying to someone yesterday, we just announced our fall seminar. The date is it's in October and we try and bring in a keynote kind of a guest lecturer each year. Last year we brought in Jordan Syatt and this year we're bringing in Pat Rigsby. And that's an example of me basically <clears throat> selfishly saying, this is who I want to learn from. Let me take advantage of the fact that I'm coordinating this event and go out and pick somebody that I'm fascinated by. So uh, I definitely abuse that privilege, but I'm doing so unapologetically. We, we, do, we, do, it, we, do, it every, we do it every week. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm preaching to the choir. That's, that's, I was going to say it too. Like, Dean beat me to it. Like, every week we get to talk to someone. And it's really cool. I'd say about 80% of our guests I've actually met in person, and most of them I could call friends. Uh, but occasionally we get someone like Jordan Syed was on our podcast. So if anyone wants to listen to that one, it's actually really super. And uh, you get some unique nuggets of Jordan's experience you don't hear anywhere else. Uh, but, yeah, Jordan was just someone we reached out to through the industry, and he was happy to do it. Yeah, everybody else have been people that I've been able to sit so, down and have one-on-one -on -one conversations. You and I have had one-on-one -on -one sit down conversations in person. And, you know, I feel like you get a ton from that. Plus you don't pay for them. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it, it honestly is rare to run into somebody who isn't going to be generous with their time in this field. Uh, there are people who fiercely guard their family time, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But as long as you are respectful and, socially aware in the way that you approach 
the people that you look up to or you you're hoping to gain some insights from they're going to be receptive to it it's just the people whose approach sucks that are are maybe they get a bad impression from somebody and they think it's that person's fault not their own so social awareness is key in connecting with these people in the network that you talk about and one thing that like so mike and i mike nelson and i have kind of created a relationship over the last like six months or whatever the hell it was but one of the conversations was like i was like i appreciate some of this stuff and he's like well most people i talk to don't follow through with stuff or they just like take 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 and take and i think that if you are um, trying to better the industry or you're coming from a place where like you really want to learn and you know that they're going to follow through. I think that makes a big difference on how you kind of distribute your time because you can tell oh, within five minutes of talking to someone who and what their intentions are. 100% agree. The difference between givers and takers is pretty obvious. It's funny in our field. I think you've got to, you've got to just pour as much material and content out there as you can to gain that following. And then, Kind of the more nuanced stuff is that what you get into maybe behind that paid wall, yeah. and and that's actually a tough concept for my wife to understand because I'll say to her, <laughs> I'll ask her to take a look at a blog, maybe edit it for me, and fifty percent of the time she'll read it and I'll say, what do you think? And she'll say, I think you're giving too much away for free, <laughs> <laughs> and you know we'll agree to disagree on that front. But I think that's the nature of this field. It's it's give until you run out of ideas, and and then. Hopefully, in doing so, you're going to accumulate a following of people who believe in your your insights and are, are reaching out for further. Um, what I was going to say was with this podcast, especially like one of our key goals is any of our core listeners, and we have an established base. Uh, I want them to get to meet and hopefully follow and interact in, in whatever way that's beneficial to our guest with each guest as we get them on. And, and each guest that we've had on has basically had the experience where some you know they've gotten new followers and in some cases it's, it's devoted interactive people and, and i'm hoping it leads to business and I, I think it has in at least a few cases at least already um i want to actually share the people that i've been following for a very long time i've followed you and your stuff before i had actually met you in person i was excited oh, and they no, stalked you and tried to talk to you well People he tracked me down. Well, he's not intimidating at all when no. he first the seminar. Well, so here's Pete. Right? So I, I've had similar experiences with a few other people uh, in Kansas City last this past May. Stan Efferding was just there hanging out, and he was kind of quiet and did his own thing. And only a few people even knew who the guy was. Right? And Stan is the most famous person in the room. So I actually sat down and chatted with him a few times. He was really nice and really pleasant, and gave me his phone number and sent me a, a, a copy of uh, his vertical diet. But I remember the year before where you had been there and I saw the list of speakers like, oh, Pete, I can't wait to actually see what Pete has to say because I'd found you on the FitCast. So I follow that and uh, Kevin sure. Larrabee, who I know is an old intern of yours as well. So a lot of the people I follow in the industry, I've learned who they were from that, right? So now I'm trying to do that for, you know, a generation of our followers who are, who are not as big as a FitCast by any means, but, you know, we're actually, we're doing okay. So... And here you are just chilling out in the back of the room. And I, I couldn't help but get this sense that because you're the guy who wasn't the trainer in a room full of trainers and coaches that, you know, and I think you're just kind of a quieter personality anyway. You're just kind of chilling in the back, doing your own thing. So I actually made the point of going over saying hi and, and sitting down and talking. And, and then, we got the ch- then we got the chance to do it again in Seattle when you were presenting and you and Mark Fisher uh, were there for that one. And yeah, like I took the opportunity because, it, you know, it didn't necessarily seem like at least at first a lot of people were going over there and, uh, and trying to interact. Yeah, um, I absolutely qualify as the guy behind the guy. When you start start looking at my career trajectory within fitness, I'm I'm better known as Eric Cressy's business guy than Pete Dupuy's business mind. 
which is perfectly fine. I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> there were no surprises here <laughs> when I made a decision. And honestly, the, the timing couldn't be better for this conversation because I've got a blog uh, specifically addressing the question whether it's a good idea to put your name on your business or not that's going to go live almost as soon as we hop off of this recording. Nice. Yes. And, and it touches on the pros and the cons because I'm not going to say definitively that it was a great idea or it was a terrible idea. I'm going to outline both and I'll give you a verdict if I could do it again at the back end of it. But for me, there was no moment in this process where I had these kind of expectations that suddenly I was going to become a, a industry presenter on a regular basis. And that's what this was going to translate into. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to be the guy who keeps the trains moving on time at our gym and, and make sure that the administrative components and the, the back end of this business is functional so that a guy like Eric or a guy like Tony Gentlecore could just coach. All we want them to do is what they're good at. And that's the whole reason why having a business guy in your gym is a good idea. And it's not um, necessarily sustainable or a viable option for all new gym owners. But in our case, we had the opportunity to integrate it and it made sense for us. And I think it did become a competitive advantage and, and gave us kind of a fast track to, to, capturing market share or, or brand awareness. But at the same time, I'm incredibly aware of the fact that it's a big expense to take on for an, a new kind of gym that's just getting off the ground. I actually have a couple of thoughts I want to throw in there because I've actually read, um, I, we'll start with your blog. So guys, we'll get to the point where later on where we'll tell people how to find you, but Pete's blog is fantastic. It's really, really great, especially if you're interested in the business side of fitness. This is actually a must-read, so guys, seriously, grab onto that if you're anywhere near that. I've read Eric Cressy talk about the naming as well and how he has at times lamented having put his name on the brand, uh, and there's sort of reasons for that, and I think we'll leave it to people to read your blog to find out more about that one. Oh, I don't mind discussing it in detail, to be honest, if you want to, because I know that that this podcast will hit the internet after that blog. Event, <laughs> it's so it's true, not like too. we're giving away special secrets here. Okay. Uh, and I, again, I am not fiercely protective of my, <laughs> my ideas. The point here is to give them to as many people as possible. I think it's and, something uh, good to go down because I think that just from our experience, a lot of people listening are kind of going through that process, like obviously different levels, but I think that that's probably some good information. So like, yeah, let's go down there. <laughs> Sure. Let's hit it. Um, it's funny. So I, I can tell you definitively that I did three pros and three cons in this um, list. And, and the ultimate verdict was that it's a bad idea. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't do it. But uh, let's see if I can remember them, considering I've been fine tuning this draft for the last 24 hours. And I, I'm now kind of drawing a blank a little bit. Um, I'll tell you the, the pros of it to start, because this is not a, a definitive no, don't do it. There are things that we took away from this that were phenomenal for our business. And the, the first one being that if you are somebody who is opening your own gym and you're entertaining the idea of putting your name on it, then it's probably because you have filled a personal training calendar, right? You are figuring out a way to maximize the efficiency of these hours you're putting in. You want a bigger piece, right? Um, that means that you have already established a little bit of brand awareness or brand equity. So, it can be justified. In that sense, your name has already earned the trust of people to fill a schedule. So there is some brand equity. You got a little bit of momentum. We actually took a list of about 40 clients into day one that we were able to convert the bulk of into clients. And it just dramatically reduces the risk of failure in the early stages. The question you have to ask yourself is, 
is that pro outweighing the long-term cons that I'll get into. Uh, the second reason that I think it is a uh, good idea is because in this field, there's nothing, actually in all aspects of life, there's nothing more important than your reputation. And if you want to really challenge yourself, put your name on the sign out front because your reputation's on the line and it's going to extract a next level work ethic. And so I would contend that in doing so, it's going to all but force you to go all in and you can't afford to completely shit the bed. Uh, and then what was my third car or my third pro? Uh, that's going to come to me in a second. It's forgive me. It'll come back that's to me, fine. That's okay. but let me, let me, uh, first address any questions or issues you take with anything I've said so far. No, it's fantastic. And I'm going to tell you what I know. One of the cons is if you ever want to sell the business, <laughs> That's that's con well, number three. Well, and the way, main thing I was going to say is like, this is for like opening up a gym. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is not uh, building an online brand. Like Jordan Syatt should be Syatt Fitness, and and I like that Dean is doing. You know, he's he's got his own online brand personally. But hold on, we're hold talking on. What, about which, which Dean? Which Dean? Just say it for us, please. <laughs> I'm talking about Dean Summers. Good. Okay. Course, thank you. The second so, Dean. You probably don't know this, but of course we have a running Jake. joke. <laughs> He's a, he lives 10 minutes from, like, we, I need to call. we have him coming up in a couple episodes. So Dean, we have a running uh, thing, Easter egg joke with Dean. Somehow he just, first maybe say seven or eight episodes, we just happen to mention him. It, it's some sort of relevance. He always pops up. Then and you, Dean, did, it, you yeah. did it this time. It wasn't even us. We didn't yeah, even, like, you did it. We didn't even force it. So he was our, well, first, I, he was our first guest too. But uh, so and you oh, got to remember that he's very much a part of my network because yeah, he's true. so tight with Tony Gentlecore. Uh, Tony's one of my co-founding business partners and, you know, he's still one of my closest friends despite having left our business. Uh, Dean, if, if you're friends with Tony, Dean is an extension of that. Well, they, they're basically the married at this point. Like they <laughs> well, travel that, together. They were, I know that Dean was at Tony's wedding. I understand. And I met Tony this May in Kansas City. We both did. And Tony was fantastic. Uh, what was he going to say about this? So anyway, we Dean listens to these and realized that, wait a second, we've mentioned him in every episode. He's like, I appeared every one. I'm like, okay, cool. So he, we said, just... he said we're stalking him. And then I was like, well, we're saying your name every time now. So, so now we do it deliberately, but you actually just did it before we had to think of a way to insert it. It was like, that's perfect. So. But the problem, I don't... Yeah, so basically, for Jim's, we're going to say questionable because we know your verdict. But like, if you're having an online business, it's probably not a horrible idea. So. Not at all. Not that no, you're confused I mean, with it. You're... Your your reputation is everything in that context as yeah. well. I mean, it, why bother creating something generic unless, uh, kind of as Andrew mentioned, your long-term objective is to sell it? But I don't think anyone gets into the online service provider segment with the mentality that they're going to flip that list no. into into some sort of massive sale. doesn't mean it's not doable, but it's absolutely not on the top five objectives when somebody sits down and talks about what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, I pulled up the draft, and I, I can't believe I forgot. Cheater! The, Cheater! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm cutting corners here. But the, the pro that I failed to mention is an important one, and that is that if you have an existing personal brand, a website, a social media presence, something of that nature, and you're considering opening a gym and labeling it, labeling it such, one of the things that helps you do is skip that awkward phase where you're trying to find your voice. So you're trying to figure out what the personality is of that brand, right? Because there is this awkward moment where you're you're, you're making a strategic decision. Are we going to be the, the quirky, crazy guys? Are we going to be the really deliberate, thoughtful, um, we'll say science-based 
training facility or are you going to be something in between? Or are you just going to try and do what half the fitness world is doing and recreate Mark Fisher fitness, even though that's a bad idea? <laughs> like, are you doing all of the... Mark, Mark's going to text you and be like, fuck you. <laughs> he should. I, I like receiving texts like that from Mark. But the point is that your personality is there. It's out there already. So if you choose to go any route other than what it has been, as far as tone and approach goes and all the content you've been putting out to that point, then it is lacking authenticity. People are going to see straight through the bullshit yeah. and you're not going to get anywhere. So you skip that step entirely. And when we opened this business, the, the audience that we were speaking to already existed. Eric was writing for T nation. He yeah. was speaking on perform better summit tours. He had published a couple of different products. And so we had the voice It was done. There was no time wasted worrying about that. We were doubling down on that piece and these kind of strategic brainstorming sessions about who we are just didn't need to happen. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause it's already on autopilot. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You didn't have to develop it. It was already kind of, it was already emotion. Yeah. He'd been developing it for 25 years at that point. And Cressy's a machine, an absolute machine for productivity and what he's uh, legendary but for doing. I kind of want to hear, so like, obviously cons verdict, not going to do it again, but yeah. What's the cons? Because now I'm like wondering, what would it be called prior? Well, the cons are pretty easy. I'd say they're kind of common sense, but yeah. you don't think about it initially. One of them is that there's only one of you. Yeah. And you can't take care of every client as you scale the business. And if you scale it to the point where you have multiple facilities, you can't be in both places at once. And I'll tell you right now, there is not a single scenario where somebody has called you know, a parent of a high school athlete and said, can I have an assessment, but with anybody other than Eric Cressy? Yeah. So where's no. Cressy? Where's Cressy at? The, ops, the absolute opposite. I, half those calls are, so am I going to work with Eric? Yeah. And I say, well, I, Eric doesn't even live here right now. He's in Florida for half the year. And, and these are hurdles that I've figured out how to get by, mm -hmm. but they're hurdles nonetheless. And that if you're the guy whose name is on the business, that's stressful as well, because as you scale it, you're putting your faith in a lot of people to hold your reputation in their hands. You so that's an actually issue crazy. That is yeah. very, very, very big. You guys have done a really good job of creating an internship program and having systems to find and recruit the best people, coach them and train them and actually deliver a world-class experience. And you've even said to me in person that Cressy is legendary for his programming and a lot of stuff. You've actually said to me that you have coaches in your facility who you feel are actually probably even better coaches than Eric is. And that Don't put them on file saying that. <laughs> I think he'd say the same thing if you were to ask him. And I mean, our whole objective is to hire people that are better than us. Yeah. yeah. And that's not a knock on Eric. Eric's a well, legend. But it's just to say that you guys have found people who may be better at that aspect of it. And I know we're going off script a little bit, but do you think, um, and this might be just looking back, do you think because his name was on it that maybe, at least in the initial stages, you did push it harder and you did try to get that reputation because his name was like right on there? Does that make sense? Well, um, that whole accountability piece, like, well, do think, you think that helped move it forward faster or it, probably not? Well, I think he answered that earlier in, in saying that because you have put your name on it, you have to back it. But would that have changed if his, like, would you still be as successful if, it, if you went back in time, if the name wasn't on there? That's a tough question for me to answer because it's not my name. Yeah. You know, for, for me, I think intuitively or innately, I knew that that that's a good reason to do so. Yeah. But that's a question better presented to an Eric Cressy or a Mike Boyle or a, you know, a Joe DeFranco. We're talking about 
Like they're the ones who really have to own it. For me, I can I can just live in the background like I did. You guys had no idea who I was until at least 2015. And so it's it's a difficult one for me to say definitively I was protecting Eric's name. But I will say that everybody who starts a gym or any business for that matter, if they're in, especially at the ground level, they're they're an, an investor or an equity holder, there's not a whole lot of days off and that's that's their own call. They don't they don't take any passes on that stuff. So I was pushing hard nonetheless. I just don't think that there are moments where I like I gotta make sure that this is this is protecting Eric's name and legacy. <laughs> the the one thing I will say is I think that that now that you mention all those names like the Francos and Mike Boyle, I think back in the day without all this social media stuff, that name actually probably carried the word out faster if that makes sense because it was such it was a definitive name. I don't know if that's recreatable now because it's easy to get your stuff out. I there. think it depends on the name. Let's just say that. Uh, let's use Dean Somerset. Let's use Dean, Dean Som- let's use Dean Dito. If Dean Somerset, who is rather well known uh, in our industry, if he all of a sudden decided to open a gym and slap his name on it, you know, I think that would carry. But if you're still, like you said, an up and comer who really hasn't created that brand equity with behind your name, uh, probably doesn't matter. Yeah. He's- yeah. And it's also important to note that when we got into this in 2007, the market wasn't saturated like it is no. right now. So Twitter. Uh, was launched less than I think 60 days yeah, it before been right we opened our business. Facebook was a thing, Barely. but it was not epic. Instagram didn't exist. Snapchat was not even a concept <laughs> yet. YouTube was All two years old. Not there. What? YouTube was two years old at that point. Exactly, and these things were not. Um, they were. I mean, there were social media platforms that we were becoming aware of, but that wasn't a point in time where people thought that social media needed to be an imperative part of your business. And so we got into the game when there were less players and the biggest names, the heaviest hitters at that time were the ones who had their names on the gym. So we ran with it. There was, there was no moment. There's only one person who ever said to me, this is a bad idea early on. And it was Alan Cosgrove. Mm -hmm. And he basically made a scene of me at one of the uh, business kind of mentorships that he hosted through perform better. When I went down to Providence and it was a kind of a building your business type entry level deal. And I, I was fresh out of an MBA program. So Absolutely. honestly, a lot of it was very, very elementary, um, just basic accounting, basic like P&L statements, yeah. the, the real like big rocks of gym ownership that you don't usually have coming in. Cause it's usually personal trainers who are launching a gym, not someone with an MBA from a program like that. Uh, and, and he, I remember him saying, um, raise your hand if you put your name on on your business and i think i was either not paying attention or i was writing something down and he's like pete raise your hand if you put your name on your business <laughs> to the whole entire room and i look up and i'm like oh shit okay hand goes up and he's like pete put his business partner's name on the business <laughs> and he will regret it <laughs> and here i was this arrogant new business owner you know we were probably maybe 18 months in and and we're in the middle of that astronomical growth stage where you think that, you know, double digit growth year after year after year is just the way it's going to go forever. And I remember sitting in the back of the room thinking, this guy has no idea how good we're going to be. And, <laughs> and and now I should just issue like a mea culpa, like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> you were right. You should tag him in the end. Well, the article. things worked out pretty good for you guys well, anyway. Speaking of. Um, I was going to say, so speaking of all of this, let's go back to kind of like what 
founding principles, because regardless of the name, the business wasn't just successful because Eric Cressy's name was on the thing. So what are some timeless, I guess, basic principles that we'll just say business owners can build upon that has made you so successful in 11 years and you basically recently celebrated 11 years. So like, what are those basic principles? Oh, I think, well, I've already mentioned one of them and that's a commitment to authenticity. So, so don't ever deviate from who you truly are as far as the message you're delivering, the style in which you're delivering it. People, people can see through that very quickly. So we never did that. And then, uh, from a basic principle standpoint, we never sat down and outlined it. This was before there was, there were brilliant, you know, business minds telling you that you need to have your core values on the wall and you need to have your, your big rock objectives. For us, our objective was to collect more money than we spend and accumulate as many believers as we could and put them in as many CSP t-shirts as we could. Um, but we did have a pretty firm commitment to identifying an underserved population and just trying to capture all of it. And so when we got our hands on that baseball piece, we, we were just so fiercely protective of it yeah. and we wanted to own that, that niche. And that is a uh, kind of one of the principles. I think that you gotta, you gotta find your target demo and just hammer away at it as much as you can. Cool. I was just trying to cue Dean here to make sure they tied in his next question with what you just said about baseball. He looks confused. So no, I get it. But we, we could talk athletics because, like, I think so. Even if we go down that, so you guys kind of, I, I would say, you niched up. Um, but let's talk youth athletics and and just even going around the injuries that seem more common with younger athletes as things go on. And I guess uh, why is this occurring? Is it, is it the specialization piece? Like just from your guys' experience in your realm, what do you see as the main issue going forward in youth athletics and injuries? Well, I'll, I'll preface my answer with a definitive. I am not a, a fitness professional in the sense that I'm not evaluating the athletes. I'm not writing the programming. You see I don't stuff, understand though. kinesiology. I know what you would say is enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But, but having pitched 4,500 athletes in the last 11 years on our services and most of them be baseball players, I am acutely aware of the fact that there are a lot of kind of recurring injuries that we see in these populations. And I think that Yes, some of it is because kids are specializing too early and you've got 12-year-olds declaring themselves baseball players and nothing else in a sport that's creeping closer and closer to being a year-round sport. And that's an absolutely terrible thing, especially for these pitchers. Uh, So I think that there is some truth to this argument that early specialization is increasing injuries. Sure. But at the same time, I think that there is a certain component of the ability to spread the word through social media and the internet and these things now that it's just so very easy to put things on everyone's radar. And they think that because they're seeing it today, it's just a new thing. But kids have been having Tommy John surgeries and elbow procedures and people have blown, been blowing out ACLs. It was happening when I was in high school. I had teammates who did it. Yeah. So it's not like we're creating these injuries for the first time in this new social media world. It's just that it's very easy to blast it all over your radar that it's happening. So that's that's not to say that this isn't a function of bad coaching and, and overuse and things of that nature. But there's a little bit of a component of that where it just seems so prevalent because it's so visible to you now. Yeah, we that, see it now. It's in your face. Well, that makes so much sense because before you're dealing with survivorship bias where all the ones that are successful and not getting hurt is mostly what you see. 
Now, now you see all of it. Now we see all, all of, of it. it and everything in between. And I think another factor that I, I figure probably makes sense with hockey concussions and some of the injuries in baseball, whatever, is you're dealing with athletes who are bigger, more physically mature, stronger because of training and nutrition at a younger age. You're dealing with greater forces that are acting on these bodies. You have factors, faster skaters skating around, hitting each other. You know, those extra forces are going to probably result in injuries just on an aggregate level because of how much you're seeing. Right, so. I don't disagree with that at all. Do they even know what hockey is at Chrissy? <laughs> we worked with a, a handful of hockey players. I mean, we are, we're probably only about 25 to 30 miles from Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning. Okay. And uh, I'd say that he's, he's got a pretty good hold on that niche you know, in some capacity, having, you know, his experience with BU and, and just know. hockey in general. So it's not a market that we chase, but it's certainly a market that we serve. Because, I mean, I've said in the past, and I think I've even had this discussion with you, Andrew, that um, if you position yourself as the best at something, everybody's going to assume that you're better than average at everything else. Yeah. And so it's very common for me to hear from a parent of a hockey player and they say, hey, I know you only train baseball guys, but I have this, this kid who plays hockey. Can you help him? And I know how to give that pitch every day, too. It's just that, uh, you know, you got to be prepared for the conversation and understand that it comes down to differentiating your services in a way where I say, look, there's a misconception that I give out the baseball program. Yeah. But I don't. I give out the athlete-specific program. Yes. The fact that they're a baseball player dictates the direction that we go with the screening process. Yeah. And there are certain red flags that we're looking for because we know you play baseball. But we also know what many of those red flags are with the hockey population or a volleyball population, and so on and so forth. So as long as I convey to a parent that we're individualizing for the athlete and not the sport they play, it's it's pretty easy for me to close that sale. Yeah, I, I love that because somehow I didn't start out as wanting or even being interested in training athletes, and just somehow this past year I've gotten a huge pile of young hockey players. Mm -hmm. And the way I approach this, and I actually sell the parents on, is this whole conversation about over-specialization early, and I treat their strength training quote, as a different sports, sport with different forces and vectors acting on their body to make them more resilient against those injuries, based on that theory, and try not to replicate hockey movements, like weighted slap shotting with a cable machine. No, I actually want these kids to get super strong, super durable, fast. You get somebody strong, not the they're going to be good at sports just simply by being more physically strong and better conditioned. Their coaches in their sport will teach them the hockey skills or the baseball skills. You're not teaching Max Scherzer how to throw a cutter or a changeup. You're making Max strong and more resilient against injuries, right? And so I think that's the best approach when you're dealing with any kind of athlete. And I'm a little wary of anyone, like that, that trend towards sports-specific training. I think it went really too far a while back. And it feels like the industry's kind of pulled back from that and now is really more focused on is generally making these people really strong. I 100% agree. I, I think that the the first thing that I make sure to emphasize during these conversations with parents and even athletes is that my primary areas of emphasis in what we're doing here are injury prevention first and increasing athleticism second. Yeah. I don't say throwing harder or hitting a baseball further. I say increasing athleticism. And the byproduct of doing those things and taking care of yourself nutritionally, getting plenty of rest, following the rules outside of the gym. Those are the things that are going to result in increased velocity. But I'm not going to promise any of those things because I can't control such a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I can't decide what food goes on your plate when you leave here. 
I can't decide what time you're going to get yourself to sleep. I can't decide whether you're going to replace your orange juice with water. Those are things that I cannot be accountable to because I have absolutely no say whether you are going to be accountable. So the promises I can make are that if you follow the rules inside of the gym and you respect the rules outside of it, then yeah, you're going to throw a baseball hell of a lot harder over time. But it's not my job to do all of that. And it's very, very dangerous to align myself with those kind of specific metric driven outcomes because there are just too many, too many variables, you know? So I got one thing I wanted to say, because uh, hopefully we'll have some people who have kids growing up who are listening to this in addition to our fitness professional group where they have their own yeah, kids. Hockey's better than baseball. What easily. would you say to parents of young athletes about how to approach their their kids? Well, all the other up? stuff outside of the gym. Yeah. Like, that's the... But even their... Even I think there are different levels of what I'm going to say to those parents, depending on the age of the kid. But the first thing I'd say is let your kid be a kid. You know, I, I think that um, one of the first times I saw Mike Boyle present, he was telling a story about how a parent asked him what the best piece of equipment is for their kid. And he said a bicycle. <laughs> and and I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, and from the perspective of a parent, you know, I'm I'm. I'm into parenting now, not parenting an athlete by any means. I have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. But I know that the only way my kids will find their way into a training environment of this nature will be if they are excited about it. And so there are a lot of kids that we take care of every day of the week who are here because their dad wants them here, not because they want to be here. And the dynamic that that creates is one where the athlete resents the process. They ultimately resent the sport and they burn out and they resent their dad. And so my piece of advice to the parents is cultivate interest in your kids, but know when enough is enough based on their reaction to it. And I I hope that makes sense. It's, you know, there are a lot of different directions we can go with conversations with parents, but for me, it comes down to, are they, are they excited about this? Cause it's a really high price point. Yeah. To be coming in here and just punching the clock and burning your parents' money. Yeah, and, it, and if training becomes something that's an energy suck for that individual child, like that's just systemic stress. out. The, like it, They're not going to see good results. They'll burn out. Yeah, this is supposed to be the best part of their day when they come in. Yeah. I want guys excited to come through the door. Totally. And that's that whole play piece. I don't know. I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Pat Davidson. But like play is almost how kids can foster a lot of those skills, even outside of the gym. And I think that that gets lost in like just not fun. Have fun. So generally. And we want that to carry into the older population as well. I mean, we're running a summer program right now. We've got 28 college guys from all over the country who moved into town for 10 weeks for a really intensive program. And their movement days or recovery days are Wednesdays and Saturdays. Yesterday, their movement day started with a spike ball tournament. Yeah. And and we, you know, we paired them into teams. And the rule was if you lose your first game, you got to do a certain number of sprints. You lose your second game, you're going to do a smaller number. If you move through that third round, that is your movement day. And that's fine because it keeps guys engaged. It creates community. It's, it's physical activity. And they have a blast. So we're not afraid of integrating games like children's level type approach to, uh, we'll say, adult level <laughs> mentality. Like here, here, boys, here's some bikes. We're going for a bike ride and we're going to go off some dirt jumps. Exactly. Right, we'll protect. Um, let's let's go to social media, um, and w- I think it was you that did the challenge. Any- anyways, long story short is your social media kind of highlights a lot of your family life, and I think that a lot of people, especially on Instagram, get kind of lost in this work side and trying to grind and hustle. How important is this family time or this balance between your family and work life? 
how important is this to you and, and any information for or tips for people struggling with this balance? Because that's a huge portion of your career. Well, I hate to beat a dead horse with this authenticity thing, but yeah. that's what it comes down to. I mean, if, if you know me, if you've met me in person and you've spent some time socializing with me, you know that I'm, I'm going to be someone who identifies as a dad first, a business owner second, and then a, a business consultant somewhere after that down the road. And if, if I fancy myself a dad first and it's what's most important to me, it's the first thing I think about, then I'm not going to filter that out of my kind of, um, public facing persona. It's who I am. If you're going to, if you're going to work with me in consulting, I'm going to ask you how your wife and kids are at the start of every call. And, and I would expect you to kind of get into the habit of doing the same thing with me. And I get excited to talk about it. My kids are, like I said, they're, they're almost two and four years old. And I think they're the funniest people on the planet. And I'm not afraid to share that in a social media context. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a time and a place for, for each of it. And by time and place, I mean, uh, it can't be the entirety of your strategy. And uh, the place piece is there are certain platforms that it, plays better on than others. So if you, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you probably know that my oldest son's name is Colin because I obnoxiously share all the stupid shit he says. And and I just think he's like a comedian that doesn't realize he's a comedian. Uh, but you're not going to see a lot of that in my Twitter or, or maybe on my Instagram. And so I think strategically about how I use the other platforms, the Twitter and the Instagram, are a little bit more business-minded. So if you look at my Instagram, um, kind of my series of photos, my, my gallery, you've got a very business-minded approach to the content I share and, and a, actually a strategic visual approach to it. But if you watch my story, my Instagram story, that's where the family life kind of blends into the mix. So I am nothing if not consistent in the way that I use these platforms. And I think that in doing so, I don't antagonize the people who give me their attention. So the people who choose to follow me don't feel like I misled them and, yeah. and that I go too far in one direction or the other. I'm consistent. They, they know what they signed up for. And if they stuck around, you're going to give them what they signed up for. Essentially. Cause that's exactly. you, you weren't changing anything. <laughs> exactly. And if they leave because they didn't like it, then that's a really good thing. Cause yeah. what's going on over there isn't going to stop. <laughs> I'm still posting it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have a ton more time, so we got a couple things we clue up every episode with. Um, all sure. this talk about family life and work balance. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite books that exists. It's a book called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. It really hammers on aspects of that. So we just had Alex Viata on the podcast, and the poor guy struggled to come up with a book. He just likes going back and reading old textbooks, which is interesting. But uh, we always hope that everyone we have on here, and I know you're going to have something books. great. Actually, reads a book. Like, please, for the love of God, read. But uh, have something to share with the the audience, the listeners. Okay. Well, I'll start by saying that my my book guru is always going to be Mark Fisher. Absolutely. The guy reads more than everyone I know in the world. So when I'm really digging for my next read, I just send him a text or hit him with a request and say, "What's it going to be next?" And it's funny. I mention this because when Mark and I presented alongside each other at the Disrupt event, you mentioned. Uh, somebody in the audience asked him a question about the book, The Culture Code by Culture Code by Daniel Coyle that came out. And he said, good, not great. I wouldn't touch it. And so I ignored it for a while. And then Eric put it on my desk a couple weeks ago. I read it in three days and loved it. 
<laughs> so I think that uh, we're all going to consume information differently and have different attitudes and opinions. But I did enjoy that. Uh, I'm actually reading Measure What Matters right now. And uh, I, God, I, can't, I can't remember exactly who wrote it. I think it's Dare, D-O-E-R-R, I think it's his last name. And it touches a lot on kind of building your long-term strategic object- objectives into your business and how that kind of can facilitate the culture you want. And I have been really, really happy with it. It's, uh, I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm buying two more copies and I'm putting them in Eric's hands and, and our director of performance, John's hands. And I want to make sure that the three of us talk about how we can integrate those concepts. So as much as that's business specific, it, it hasn't, the, the end game, the objective is to make myself and my business more efficient so I get home earlier to play with the kids. So work-life balance actually does play a role in that. And for me, I'm reading business stuff because I want to get better at doing more in less time so that I can get back into the backyard and play on the swing set. I totally buy into that. Um, Culture Code, I recently read it myself. I noticed maybe seven, eight months ago, it seems like it just popped up on everybody's feed. Uh, the people like uh, Luca Hosevar is always blasting books out there. And, and mm-hmm. at first, I'm like, all right, this one looks a little too trendy, but I eventually got to it. It's actually really good. Mark is great for this. So, yeah, anyone who doesn't know who Mark Fisher is, like, just you need to know who he is. Go follow him. He'll tell you if he likes it or not. He's, he's a big... He put one on Instagram. was like 3 out of 10. Which is like... Oh, wow. fire. There was something recently that he... And actually, I looked at this same book. It's a book called Relentless by Tim Grover. Grover. Yeah, he and buried it on his Instagram. Yeah, he absolutely thing. murdered like the Like five, five like, his consecutive posts. It's like, Mark, stop. Yeah, so Mark and I actually <laughs> chatted about this. And so Grover is kind of a rah-rah motivational speaker type. And he was Michael Jordan's trainer years yeah. ago. So that's his claim to fame. But Mark just thought this book was utter trash. And it, I looked at it and I didn't read it, but it also kind of had red flags for me. And then for Mark to really do what he did with it, I'm like, yeah, this, I'm going to pass on this one. Here's actually a good piece of advice. I've heard this a couple of times. If you start reading a book and you realize it doesn't have any value for it, it doesn't resonate with you, then what you've already invested in is a sunk cost. Just scrap it. Move on to something else that's better. Yeah, because it'll take you 10 times longer to read it. I've tried it. Now I just stop. Um... So social media. I just keep going. Yeah. Well, and then it like takes forever to read. You're like, oh, I just want to read this other book. And I'm like, and now I've like caught myself. I'm just gonna read the, the one I want to read. The cover looks better. Uh, okay, let's um do the social media. You got to go. Where can people consume all things you, both on the family end and on the business end, and just where do they find you? Uh, if you're interested in the family piece, shoot me a friend request on Facebook, and uh, I want you to will hear family. some of the most absurd things you've ever heard a four-year-old <laughs> say. Uh, but I, that's where I share my blogs, and and that's where I share um, some insights on things learned at running Cressy Sports Performance. But Facebook is a is a pretty authentic representation of who I am, as far as friends, family, and business. It's all there. It's a mess of it, and. Um, if you ask my siblings or my immediate family, they'll say I overshare and I don't shut up on Facebook, but I like the platform. Um, if you like uh, business content, like sharing ideas that I've learned from reading and things like that, that's where I'm all over Instagram. So my Instagram is at is Pete underscore Dupuis. And same goes for my Twitter. And that's where I'm sharing quotes I found. That's where I'm sharing links to articles that I really like. I fire off a newsletter every Friday called my Friday Four. And that's business content, typically from outside of the world of fitness. So concepts that I pull from things like maybe the Harvard Business Review 
or who knows, reading Seth Godin's blog, things like that. If I find something that really catches my eye and inspires me to write some content or think differently about the way I run my business, I share it in my, my four articles at the end of each week. Guys, I can't stress enough. Like seriously, sign up, uh, put your email on his email list and, and get this because this is really, really good. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, it was on. awesome. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'll say to the listeners too, guys, if, this, if you're actually someone who knows Pete and is finding us for the first time, we have had guests like we mentioned Dean Somerset, Mark Fisher, uh, Jordan Syatt, another one of your old interns, Sohi Lee, has done a podcast with us. There's a lot of people from our shared world who have already been guests. Check one of those episodes out. If you really like it, maybe you'll stick around. Uh, and we should have Dean coming back in the very, very near future, John Goodman, um, and a couple others. Yeah. Pete, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Shut up and sit down. 